Hello. It is so good to see you all. I've been away for three weeks. I've been gallivanting. Uh, let me tell you what we've been doing for three weeks. Three weeks ago, uh, Common Ground is part of a family of churches called Advance, uh, which is churches all across, across the globe. Uh, I think about 130-odd, 140-odd churches across the globe. And um, in the Western Cape, we coordinate in a hub. And uh, three weeks ago, um, all the Western Cape Advance Relating Churches got to send... Um, we each got allocated, based on our church size, a number of young people to a specific uh, uh, event that we brought together all the young guys uh, from our different churches in the Western Cape. So there were 78 who could fit into this conference. We got to bring four in from Common Ground South Penn, right? That's how the waiting worked. And we were together, and we got to bring Scott Marks, who's a church leader from Zimbabwe and leads a network of churches through Africa. Uh, so Scott and Claire Marks came and spoke and spoke to our young guys about money, the mission, and the kingdom of God. Really just about how we say money, the mission, the kingdom of God, how God wants to use us in our lives and work through us, both in terms of um, the church leadership as well as in the marketplace and how those things come together. It was extraordinary time, so I was there. And then the next week, I got to be in Port Elizabeth, or Klebecha, um, uh, as it's now called. It's a beautiful sounding Klebecha. My mouth is too, um, too dry. And I got to preach in a church called Covenant Grace, led by Greg um, Heasley, who's a friend of ours, part of the advanced network of churches, great church. His, uh, in fact, Greg's daughter, um, Greg and Wendy's daughter, Eden, is around here. She, took, she, was, she leads our Ignite ministry. And so uh, she was in the back there worshiping with our youngsters this morning. And I got to be there with them. And that was cool as a family. We were there. And then I was on, on, leaves, on, on a week's leave with my children and my wife as they were competing in uh, uh, South African Nippers Championships, and so it was full on, but it was fun, man, and I got to be in a competitive space, and it brought out the best and the worst of me, as you can imagine. It was lovely, and uh, all that to say, I'm so stoked to be back. Ty, so lovely to be led in worship by you again, mate. Where are you? There you are. That's beautiful, mate. Thank you for that. So lovely to, uh, to hello to you guys on social media, but you would have missed this. I'm sorry. Um, just the worship, the, the, the congregation, worship welling up in the congregation and reflecting back to the band who then led us in another direction and worship. And this just, it's, that's beautiful, man. I love it. And so, yeah, you can see I'm excited to be back after three weeks. That's why I suppose it's good to go away and come back for a little bit. Anyway, where are we today? Where are we today? We're in the book of Exodus. We're journeying through Exodus. We're in week seven. Can I give us a 90-second recap in seven weeks in Exodus? This is what's happened. We've been looking at the story of the people of God. They were slaves. They had been in slavery in Egypt for 430 years. And then God said, I've heard your cry. I've seen your suffering. I'm concerned about it, and I'm coming down to rescue you. So I have called a mediator, this boy Moses, saved in birth as he was put into a, um, the same Hebrew word for ark, basket, covered in pitch, the same way the ark was put in, covered in pitch, into this and put into the Nile River as a young man, and God spared his life as he emerged on the other side, just like Genesis 6, the story of the ark, and Moses grows up on the other side. And then Moses is raised up as a leader, and he comes to Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And God, through a series of plagues, begins one by one prying Egypt's grip off of God's people as he begins to deliver them. And now uh, we find that where we, where we are in the story is they're just kicked out of Egypt. And I want to look today at an interesting topic. It's a bittersweet, a bittersweet 
uh, topic or subject for us in the life of uh, in our lives. Uh, and I want to speak about leadership today. Today's message is leadership in the people of God. I say it's bittersweet. It's sweet because I think deep down we all know we need leadership, right? Deep down we want society to function well. We want good leadership in government. We want good leadership in business, in, in uh, the marketplace. We want good leadership in our families. We want good leadership in our lives, all of us. But, um, but we're also, it's bitter because we're very skeptical of leadership, aren't we? We don't like um, to come under the influence. You feel away. That you cringe a bit inside when I say under the authority of other people, right? We cringe. We don't like this, right? As a culture, we generally want the things of God. We just don't want God. We want the kingdom of God. We want a society that runs on kindness, where people are kind to one another. People are generous. People are just. A society where we care for the poor, where we, we care for the sick. This is the way the Bible describes the kingdom of God. We just don't want the king. We want the kingdom. We just don't want the king because we want to be king. We want the kingdom of God. We want the things of God. We just don't want to bow our knee to the king because I think we're a little bit anti-leadership because somewhere deep inside, we quite like to be the authorities, autonomous kings and queens of our own lives. And I want to say to you, this is no way to live. This is no way to live. Actually, every human being needs a king. And, and there is no king like Christ. And God is our king and God is our leader. And I want to look today at how does God lead his people. And we're going to look at it in the book of Exodus, specifically um, at the stage of God's people in the wilderness. We're going to look at God's people in the wilderness and how does God lead his people through the wilderness. And what we'll do is we'll look at how they were led then. And because there's a lot of water that's gone under the bridge between then and now, we we can't directly translate all of these things into our lives. But we can take principles for how we are led as a church and how we are led as individuals. And even some of us, how we can take these principles and put them into place in the marketplace too. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's, how are we going to do this? We're going to look at two snapshots from the Old Testament, right? Two snapshots. The first snapshot, uh, Exodus chapter 13, if you want to make your way in your Bible there so long, Exodus chapter 13, uh, and, and the first snapshot is kind of zoomed out big picture leadership, and the second snapshot is far more up close into the details of leadership and even organizational structure um, in the Bible, as you'll see. And what we'll do is we'll read the passage, we'll unpack what it meant to them then, and then we're going to draw some principles principles and applications to us and to our lives now. The first snapshot we're going to look at, um, sorry, I forgot to push play on my timer here, so I know how I'm going on the clock. Um, first snapshot, a pillar of fire and cloud, right? And the big idea for the first snapshot is God leads his people. I know you know this, but let's just unpack it and see what it means for us. God leads his people. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 17. And I'll give you some context in a second. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the, by the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people round by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Let's pray. God, as we come before you now, it's, um, it's exciting. Man, it's spring, Lord. Yeah. It, we, we seem to be emerging, hopefully, from the worst that this pandemic has to offer, God. And it, it's starting to feel like we're able to gather again. We're able to be the embodied people of God. God, as we come before you and we come before your word, we ask that you would speak to us today. 
speak to each of us. You take a second to pray that prayer for yourself. God, speak to me from your word. Filter the stuff so that I can hear from you that which it is that you have for me today and for your people. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so what's happened here? Where, where are we in the story, the context? Israel have just been delivered by the Passover, and now they're making their way out of Egypt. Slavery for hundreds of years is all that they had known, and you'd think they'd be ecstatic, right? Finally, the nightmare is over. They should be thrilled. They should be over the moon. But mostly, I think they're just weak and vulnerable and afraid. They'd been beaten down for so long, 430 years of slavery, crushed broken in spirit. And Egypt was the kind of only context they'd known. The the memory had long since faded of lands of their own and homes and farms that were theirs. And so all they could remember, 430 years, a long time, was the context they had of Egypt. And what was leaving was a broken and weak and fearful people. They've been kicked out of the front door of Egypt. They're free. Yes. Okay, but now what? Now what? We're out. We got what we want. The the dog has got the tire of the car, right? Now what? Right? That's what's happening. What they need most is they need leadership. They need leadership to help them establish a future, an identity. And the leadership of God's people, I want us to see, it starts with God. Leadership with God's people starts with God. Verse 17 we read, but God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines. Verse 18, but God led the people round by the way of. The first thing we see today is God is leading his people. It is he who is giving his people direction. It is God who is choosing the way that they should go. It is, it, it is interesting the way that he chooses to. God chooses to lead his people from Fishhook to Stellenbosch, but via Bloemfontein. Right? And that's literally what happens here. I'm just for, follow the metaphor. From Fishhook to Stellenbosch via Bloemfontein. Why? Because he knows that that stage, they weren't ready to face the giants of Somerset West yet. Right? And so that's what he does. But, but can you see the way God is choosing where they should go, how they should go, directing the time? God is the one who knows his people. He knows the direction. He knows the destination. And he knows the journey that's right for them to take. God is leading his people. Verse 19. And here's a little detour, but I think it's worth us quickly just stepping for a minute or two of this detour. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And when they moved from Succoth to and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Okay, who was Joseph? You know the story from, many of you know the story from earlier in the Old Testament. Joseph, Joseph was the one who was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was one of the 12 sons of Jacob, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Ultimately, he was the head of, and uh, he was sold into slavery. And through being sold into slavery, he ended up in Egypt. And he did so well and excelled in leadership in Egypt that when the famine came, all of his brothers, the ones who sold him into slavery, were starving. And because of Joseph's track to leadership in Egypt and his leadership, there was an abundance in Egypt. Egypt, And so Israel were able to take shelter in Egypt. That's how Israel got into Egypt in the first place, as there was provision made for them in a famine. Now Joseph is on his deathbed and he makes his brothers and his brother's children, I suppose, promise to take his bones when they finally leave Egypt with them to the promised land. I'll read it to you from Genesis 50, 24 and 25. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you 
and will bring you up out of this land into the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here. Why is this detail so important? Because Joseph understood the promises of God to Abraham. What does that mean? He was well aware that one day God would free his people from Egypt. And he said to them, when that happens, you take me with you. He wanted to be buried there. Why is this so important? Because it gives us a window into how Israel thought about the afterlife. How the people of God thought about the life to come. And Joseph had an understanding that God would fulfill his promises. Even if not in Joseph's own lifetime, he knew that God would do what he said he was going to do. And he was invested with his life. But it wasn't that I have to squeeze it all into my life right now or bust. Joseph had an understanding that his life was grafted into and was born into a great story that God was working through all of history. It wasn't that Joseph was born into like the I story. Like we, we are so conditioned in our culture to live in our own little I stories with our iPhones and our iPads and our I lives. All about me now, what I can do in my life. Joseph didn't have that. Joseph understood, my life is grafted into God's story. And Joseph wasn't running a race like, like, like an individual race. I think there's two errors we can make here. We, 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 can, we can make the error of thinking that your life is just the individual race. And you can lose context that actually your life is not an individual 100-meter sprint for metaphor's sake. Your life is a relay. And Joseph received the baton from his fathers. And he ran faithfully his leg of the race. And then he handed over to the next generation. And he was okay that the next generation were going to achieve and do things that he was never going to be a part of. Because he, he, he knew his story was grafted into that. He wasn't living in his own individualistic story. And I think you and I, we've got to hear this because it's so hard in this moment to not live your own individual, choose your own adventure story through life. And to start to see God's plan for your life as being grafted into the people of God, the work of God throughout history. And to lose ourselves in what he is doing in the world through all of us. Rather than just my life, my story, my mission. Joseph understood that. He said, hey, I, I might not see this in my life. But when, when God does this in us, take me with you. I'm sharing even in that. Okay, let's come back to leadership. Let's go. Verse 21 to verse 22. And then we'll unpack this point for our lives. Verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and led them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night and the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night there's repetition writer doesn't want us to miss it did not depart from before the people now what we can see here is a clear visible symbol of the presence of God. It's the way God was guiding and protecting his people. It's a great pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. By day, it's a dark cloud. When is a dark cloud really helpful? It's really helpful when you're people gathered in the heat of the day in the middle of a desert, right? I mean, common sense tells us that that provides probably some cool as well, some relief and respite from the heat. 
And then, when is a pillar of fire really helpful as well? When you're walking by night, the desert gets really cold. It gets really dark. And it's difficult to move around in the hottest part of the day. And so probably, as it says, they move by night as well. The, the pillar of fire was giving them light in the darkness and warmth in the coldness as well. What I want us to see, and what we can't miss here, is that this pillar of fire and cloud represented the presence of God with the people. It was a manifestation of God himself. It wasn't merely something God did. It wasn't like God made a cloud for them and said, follow the cloud. It wasn't like God put a fire in the sky and said, follow the fire. It was God manifesting himself in the form of fire and cloud. You get the distinction? It wasn't merely something that God sent them. But it was God himself in a form that they could see so that they could know he was present with them. It was supernatural. It was huge. It was visible. But it was a reminder that God is with you by day or by night, by darkness or by light, in warmth and in cold. I will be with you. It was the presence of God himself with them as they went into unknown territory. What's the point we're making? We're making the point, God leads his people himself. Okay, so how does this translate into our story now, all these years later? Well, God still leads his people today. He leads his people, I want to speak to two ways. The first way I I think God leads his people is Jesus leads his church in providential ways. Jesus is the ultimate leader still of his church. This is his church over which he is the sovereign leader. He still guides, he still leads, he still intervenes in his church in providential ways. And we desperately need him to do so. We desperately need him to do so. If it wasn't for that, the church would be little more than the culmination of the leader's best strategic wisdom and efforts. And we're so much more than that. God still leads his church in providential ways, and we desperately need him to. And the second thing is, God still leads his church in prophetic ways. In prophetic ways. And the easiest way to speak about this one is just looking at the faithfulness of God to lead us as a church in prophetic ways in the past. I think, I think of two years ago. Who can remember? What did, what did God speak to us as a church? What was our focus two years ago as we started the year in January 2020? What is the focus of our church? This year, we believe God has called us to focus on the kind of people that we're becoming, right? Our vision, our pursuit is not going to be on the ground we're going to take, the way we're going to grow, the way we're going to change the society, etc., etc. But our focus was to be, and God led us toward, becoming a particular type of person. It was a visionary focus on Christ-likeness. But you think about how that has changed the way we've even had a grow through this I'm not saying COVID came along because of that. We didn't cause COVID in any way, shape, or form like that. But I'm saying God has used this season to focus on that very thing as he's changed us as human beings, as he's exposed part of who we are, how we as a church have changed the way we've preached, how we as a church have changed the way we've done life groups so as to create an emphasis on the kind of human beings that we're becoming. We've changed our preaching, our life group, and our spiritual formation philosophies around these whispers of God to change tack and to change focus. I think further back, many of you wouldn't know this story. It's further ago in our common ground story, but how it led to the birth of our very congregation. Rigby, who led the original common ground congregation 15 years ago, just one. 
was doing a prayer walk one day, and he felt God whisper to him this word, plant this church deeper into the culture and wider into the city, which is, it sounds really cool, but what does it really mean? You know, and so the elders began grappling and praying with what does it mean to plant this church deeper into the culture and wider into the city? Uh, unbeknown to them, another church had a prayer meeting, a corporate prayer meeting, and they were praying one Wednesday night. And someone in that prayer meeting felt a whisper from God to say, they were praying for Common Ground Church, and they said, the picture is of a hen and chicken plant. Now, you probably, like me, don't know what a hen and chicken plant is. A hen and chicken plant is a plant that grows up out of the ground like this, and then it sends down a root. And that root grows under the ground, and it comes up over here, boop, and sprouts another plant, right? And then it grows under like this, and then it sprouts another plant, right? And that picture from the other church praying over there, and that whisper that came from Rigby's prayer meeting, then get, uh, the eldership team praying through that led to the idea that, God's calling us to plant another congregation. And so we didn't do multi-site. Multi-site wasn't even a thing then. But actually, Common Ground, Ron Bosch was the only congregation then planted in a city congregation, then planted Constantiaburg congregation, then planted Weinberg, then South Penn, then Bloberg, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what I want us to see is it was, it was a prophetic whisper that came in a, in, a, in a devotional time of prayer with God, and then a prophetic whisper that came in a prayer time in another church that came together with a discernment of leaders led to the way in which we have what we are living in now as a church, as God inspired and did what we couldn't strategically figure out to do ourselves so much more. God leads his church providentially as he opens doors, as he does things, as, he, as even the way in which God made a way for us to meet here in, in this tent under this tree in the midst of COVID when we were forced out of a school. And now it seems to us that he's opening the door for long-term partnership in this place to impact our community. You can't dream that stuff up as strategic leaders. We don't have what it takes as leaders, but God providentially leads his church, and he prophetically leads his church. Does that make sense? Okay, let me keep us moving here. Okay, last question then on this one. So how should that make us live as a church? So how should, if that's true, and we believe that, how should we live as a church? Number one, we should be prayerfully dependent on God. If God providentially leads, leads his church, and if God prophetically leads his church, we are prayerfully dependent on God. We should be humble, knowing that we don't have all that it takes to do all that God wants to do, that we need God to do what only God can do, that we still need him to speak prophetically, that we still need him to open doors providentially for us today. And so we as a people must remain prayerfully dependent on God. Make sense? Okay, so how are we doing there? Guys, can I, can I talk tough for a second? Is that okay? Can we do that? Wednesday night we had a church prayer meeting. It was a corporate prayer meeting. And uh, I think 10% of us as a congregation arrived to pray corporately. Now I know we've had, I know we've had COVID. And I know it's been a, a big stick in the spokes of our bicycle, right? I get it. I just want to remind us of who we are. We are a people who are not waiting around for Jesus to come take us home. We are a people who are missional, who have been placed here by God to make a difference in this community. We are trusting for God to be at work in us and through us as we bring change. That we need God to 
providentially and to prophetically lead us and do what only he can do in us. And so therefore, we are those who know we don't have what it takes, but know that God wants to do what he wants to do. And so I want to call us, let's be a people who are depending on him to do what only he can do. Let's be a people of prayer. The second thing I want to say very simply that it should make us is a people full of faith and hungry. Because we know God can do more than we could ever dream. That, that, that in God we could see more happen than we could ever do ourselves. That even when things are bad, God can turn things around because God is still leading. Because God is still at the helm. Because God is still working. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's always on his mission to put his world to right. And so therefore, we are those who are prayerfully dependent on God, and we are those who are full of faith and hungry for Him to do what only He can do, because He is with us. Doesn't that secure you in this moment? Super exciting, hey? Second snapshot. Second snapshot. And this one, we're going to get a little bit more into the detail of how God leads His people. We're looking at organizational structure now. I know that sounds like corporate language, but this is actually biblical here. And the big idea is that God leads his people. We've seen number one. God leads his people also through people and through leadership structure too. God lead, the people of God are led by God through structures made up of people too. We're talking about organizational structure. We're talking about God himself. We have both in our leadership. It's how we arrange our church. Exodus chapter 18. The context is, in Exodus chapter 18, Moses is just caught up with his father-in-law. His father-in-law has come to visit him, and uh, his name is Jethro. Jethro is a Midianite priest. And uh, Moses begins talking to his father-in-law. He says, Dad, you won't believe what God has done. He delivered us from Egypt through the Passover. He's provided for, for us. We were thirsty. He brought water from a rock. We were hungry. He brought manna from heaven. We wanted meat, so he sent quails that we could eat meat. He healed our sicknesses. He even fought on our behalf against the Amalekites. And after hearing all of this, Jethro, who's a Midianite priest, in other words, he's not a follower of God. He's on the other team, and uh, he hears what God has done for his people and he converts and he says, I want to follow this God Yahweh too. And Jethro becomes a follower of God. And the next day Jethro says to Moses, I want to come to work with you and see this for myself. And so Exodus 18 verse 13, we're joining Moses and Jethro on Moses's bring your father-in-law to work day, right? Let's read from verse 13. We're looking for, our eyes are looking out for organizational structure in the, in the church. How, how does this impact on us? The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning until evening. It was a long day. And Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people. And he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from the morning to the evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. 
What we have here is Israel have become a brand new nation. They're just, they're trying to find their feet from their recent emancipation from Egypt. And God is leading them. God is with them. It's clear. It's undeniable God is with them. But they're still not getting it right. There's still things that are broken about them as a people. It's not a perfect church, but God is still with them. And he's working on them and he's helping them improve all the time. And then verse 19, Jethro continues, Now obey my voice and I will give you advice. And God be with you. Again, there's no substitute for God's leadership in your midst. But here's some practical stuff you can do as well. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes of the law and make known to them the way in which they should walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and who hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they shall decide for themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all of this, uh, sorry, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So this is good for you, and this is good for the people. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Okay, briefly, what's going on here? In ancient Near East, leadership involved judging matters of disputes. And so if you were a leader, you were also involved in civil and criminal disputes, and you helped sort those things out. And Moses is struggling to delegate. Moses is struggling to give away responsibility. Everything has been built around one person, and it's bottlenecking with him, and it's draining for both the people as well as draining for Moses, because the people aren't getting what they need, and Moses is having to do more than he should. It's not sin. It's not disobedience. It's just kind of evolved over time to be like this. I think it's a culmination of they'd been so long in Egypt that they had all these issues that were pent up that they haven't been able to resolve. And so they kind of all now come out, right? I hope, hope the end of lockdown is not going to be like that, right? We've all been scattered and suddenly everything's going to, hopefully, hopefully that's not going to happen. Who knows though? They've been pent up in Egypt, right? Number one. The second thing is there's just so many of them and Moses is one dude. It's hard. And the third one, I think Moses deep down has got a very shepherd-like heart. And he wanted to be able to help care for the people in such a way. But Jethro comes to him with some sage advice. This is not sustainable. And he basically says, empower some other people to oversee and to lead with you. Organize and arrange the people into groups where everyone can be heard and everyone can be led. He tells us about the kind of leaders to look for. Look for Verse 21. Look for able men from all people who fear God, are trustworthy, and hate a bribe. These are leaders of character and capability. They are able, which speaks to capability. They're able to do the job. Leaders of capability. And the second thing is of character. They're trustworthy. They fear God. These are people of integrity. Okay, we've got an understanding of what was happening them there. Let's ask the question, how does this impact us in Common Ground South Penn now? Although their context is very different, what principles can we take? And I want to say four, I want to draw four points for our context. Number one, we should value the perspective of external voices. We need to value the perspective of outside voices. Moses had Aaron, he had her, he had Joshua, he had all the leaders. They were all sitting around the fire the night before. They were all there. There were many leaders. There was a plurality of leaders. They were all around the fire. But they were so immersed in their own story that they couldn't see 
what was wrong in it. Sometimes when you're so in the middle of something, you can't see what's broken in it. Every church has got blind spots. And sometimes when you're living in a story so long, you become numb and blind to what's wrong in your own context. And so Jethro, who's an outsider, comes in and he sees things with fresh eyes and he brings it to their attention. Things that they had long themselves since stopped seeing. It's exactly the same for us as a church today. We are the same. It's why we from time to time invite external leaders from other churches, other advanced churches, uh, into our story to come and kind of take our pulse. See how we're doing. What are we missing? How can we be better? Bring wisdom from their story and bring perspective from our lives. Two weeks time. Two weeks time. One of my closest friends in life and ministry who leads a church in East London called Everyday People is coming to be with us here in Common Ground South Bend. Yes, it's true. His daughter is sitting there and she's giggling with delight. Arno and Claire, fantastic friends of ours, lead a church called Everyday People. They are coming to be with us next weekend. They're doing a men's camp in Durbanville the whole weekend. Guys, if you're able to shift things around, Durbanville have invited us to come and be with them. Men, come and join them for the men's camp. All the stuff is on our social media feed. Today's the last chance to get in there. If you can shift things around, make it happen. I'm going to be there as well as a few others. It's going to be great. But from Monday the following week through to Sunday as Honor preaches in our church in two weeks' time, he's going to be in our church. What's he going to be doing? He's staying in our home. Lauren and I. Why? Because it's important that other leaders come in and check how are we doing as a couple? Is our marriage still healthy? Are we parenting our children in such a way that other people should be following our lives? How we're doing? Not just put up in some B&B over there at a distance and we all do our own thing in silos, but I want you to know that our lives are submitted to others and we're inviting them to help us be more as leaders. But he's going to be with us as leaders and he's going to be with us in preaching in church as well as he's with us. So, so you get to know him as well as a church. And if something was to go pear-shaped, God forbid, in my life and in our life as leaders, that we as a church would know that there are other leaders who we know, because this is going to happen every year, not just a one-off invitation, over time and trust that can come in and can help us navigate through these things. We're not just autonomous, independent on our own local church. Does that make sense? We value the perspective of external voices. They're invited into our story. They don't come in with a prescribed and drop onto us. No, we invite them humbly in. To lead us. The second, uh, the next two points, and these guys will go quite swiftly together here. Um, the, the next two points of the four go together. Um, number, number, point number two, so number one, we value external voices. Number two, leadership and leadership structure is an integral part of church life. The Bible is clear what New Testament church structure, leadership structure looks like. It's very simple. There are elders, there are deacons, and there are members in a local church. If you want to take a squiz through your Bible, look at the letter written to Corinthians, Philippians, to, to Ephesians. Look at all the letters written to the churches. You'll see Paul will write the letter. He'll say, to the elders, to the deacons, and to the saints in this place. There's a clear New Testament leadership structure. Now, Jesus is the chief shepherd and leader of the church. But under Christ, there are under shepherds that he 
He gives as good servant leadership gifts to his church. The first group I speak of are elders. Elders, uh, another word in the Bible for elders is pastors. There's no, uh, bishops is another word in some translations, but they all speak about the same person. Elders lead the church and they oversee the whole. It's a team of elders, not one elder who leads the church. A team of elders who lead the church. But elders don't lead the church on their own. They co-lead the church with a team of deacons. Another leadership gift we see in the New Testament. Deacons oversee specific areas of leadership in the local church. Life groups, ministry teams, uh, parking teams, coffee teams. The, the, the Bible's got a lot of latitude with the specific areas of leadership that deacons can oversee. But, but, but together, elders and deacons co-lead the church. Elders oversee the whole, and deacons oversee specific functional areas. Elders from within the deacon team, because all elders are also deacons too, overseeing specific areas, but elders from within that team co-lead the church together as, as we thrive. So then you've got elders, deacons, and all of us as members. But then this, the third point of how we should structure is this. We should organize our church in such a way as everyone can contribute and everyone can be shepherded. Elders, deacons, co-lead, but we organize our church in such a way as everyone can be shepherded and everyone can contribute. Moses went from a ministry monopolizer to a ministry multiplier in this text. We can learn something about shared ministry. Our situation is different, but the general principle is we believe in shared ministry. We believe in pastoral care, and your contribution is important, that the church is most beautiful and flourishing when everyone is contributing. Mutual care is the foundation of pastoral ministry. The picture I want to put before us to hold in our minds is that of a, and this is a very old school church thing, I get it, but a bring and share. Do you know what a bring and share is? When all, all the people come and everybody brings a plate of eats, right? Or, or what, did, what do Americans call it, Mary? Is it a, a potluck? potluck dinner, hey? Where everybody brings something and then everybody gets to share from everyone else's stuff, right? Did I get that right? Sort of, thank you. Okay. So, so bring and share versus, what's the alternate? A soup kitchen. One person arrives with a big pot of soup and everybody else comes hungry and then everybody else comes to take from the soup. We are not a soup kitchen. We are a bring and share church. So everyone gets to bring their contribution, and that makes the whole better. It, it happened during worship today even. Even as we as a congregation, the worship team were leading us, and we as a congregation felt a, a chorus coming in our hearts, and that came, and then it came back through us, and it, it's just there was contribution that made. It's this principle of everyone contributing and everyone uh, caring, everyone loving, everyone bringing their peace that makes the church Special, and so we should structure and organize in such a way as that's possible. Let's apply this to life groups. Life groups, oh, I've never been more convinced of the importance of life groups. Life groups are smaller groups of around about 10 people in the life of a church. We meet Tuesdays, Wednesdays, some Sundays, different. There's no format in terms of how they have to look, but we, all of this bigness and all of this bigness on there too is also uh, small in terms of our life group gatherings as we get into each other's lives and we bring and share together. Life groups are bring and shares. They're not soup kitchens. But then this is true on Sundays. Online gatherings served us in a temporary way through the season of COVID. But one of the great deficits of 
doing church the way we did it online? Is it monopolized ministry for a few people who could play instruments and a few of us who could preach? And everyone else got to kind of spectate what was happening. This is not how worship is meant to be. It's not how the family of God is meant to be. Every Sunday where you show up to, like today in an embodied way and you contribute yourself, your very physical body to the gathering, you by being warm, by being caring, by putting your worship in with the worship of other Christ followers, you cause the whole to flourish in a way that doesn't happen when we're all scattered and sort of dialing in when it suits us, right? We are a church that is the culmination of our contribution as Christ followers. And we need to organize in such a way that everyone can contribute and everyone can be shepherded. Last point, done so well. Hey, very, I know very practical, very, very practical message today. Last one. In leadership, value character over gifting, although we need both. In leadership, Value, character, over-gifting, although we need both. Verse 21, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, are trustworthy, and hate the bribe. I love the waiting here. They have to be able. There is no substitute for ability and gifting in leadership. But capability is only mentioned once. Character is mentioned three times. Do you see that? The waiting is important. Both are essential, but one is even more important than the other. You can have all the gifting in the world, but if it's not matched by character, those gifts will eventually end up creating problems instead of growing people into the fullness of God. I think we've all seen that happen in the church. So what this means is if you are hungry to be a leader for God, and you should be, the Bible says he who desires to lead. If you desire to lead, men and women, if you desire to lead, it's a, it's, it's a good thing to desire to lead in the local church. But if that's you, focus more on Christ-likeness than growing your leadership ability. That will happen. I'm convinced. I mean, Jethro's the one leading. Jethro's been a Christian for about one day when he gives us perspective. What's happened is the Spirit of God has got a hold of his life, and he's released gifts in him. He's released wisdom in him. And in a fresh, supernatural way, God has opened Jethro's eyes to see things that Moses couldn't see. It's God spiritually doing things. God can do stuff like that. But, but, but what takes longer is the Christ-likeness aspect. That's where I want to encourage us. If that's you, and if you've got leadership gifting, I want to invite you to bring that. But, but, but in developing that, I want to say go for discipleship more than leadership. I want to say go 80% Christ-likeness, 20% leadership development. I think that's a good balance. So let me ask you two questions. As we're emerging from the worst that this pandemic has to offer, I trust. Let's be hopeful here. Will you bring your contribution? Will you bring your contribution into this story? Secondly, will you bring your best? Will you bring your it's Guys, the church is most beautiful. The church is most helpful to the community. The church is most like the church in heaven. When we all get to bring our contribution... When we come to serve, then when we come to bless, when we come to encourage, the whole is more beautiful. Will you bring your contribution and will you bring your best? Let's wrap it up quickly here in summary. God leads his people. He still leads his people today. He's leading us. God is at the helm in our community. The second thing is he leads his people through other people 
We've got to get our heads around that. Some of us who are struggling to trust, it just is the way God works. But other people in team whose lives are submitted to other people, let's not miss that, and he leads us even in how we structure and organize. We should be those as common grounders who are prayerfully dependent. How are you doing? Are we prayerfully dependent for God to do what only he can do in us as a church? And those who are full of faith, because God can do more than we could ever do on our own. Lastly, let's not forget Jethro. Jethro was a Midianite priest. He was a heathen. He was an outsider. He was not a follower of God. And he heard the testimony of God. And he heard the testimony of God from a broken or through a broken, weak, poorly organized people. And God worked through it. And God transformed Jethro's life. Guys, this should give us a lot of encouragement as a church. We don't have to be perfect as long as God is with us. God will reach others through us. Let's recover our missional heart as a church to reach those who are far from God. COVID shrunk us all down or pushed us all into our couches. Let's come out into the world again so as to be light to the community in which God has placed us. And then lastly, perhaps you are Jethro. Maybe you're outside of the family of God. And this message, as strange, as pragmatic and leadership-orientated as it is, is an invitation to be a part of the family of God. And it's an invitation to you. But it's an invitation. How do we become part of the family of God? We come before the King that Christ is. And we join. You don't just get the kingdom. You get the king is how you get the kingdom. As we bow our knees to Christ. Can I pray for us? Ty and Ben, can you come and lead us? Can we stand together as a church? Can we stand and come before God? lead us in a brief open prayer and then hand over to the band as you lead us. But, but would you do business with Jesus where you stand? This is a moment for you to come before Christ. I'll get out the way soon. You do prayerful business with Jesus. Jesus, we come before you. Thank you for the way in which you lead your people, God. You lead your people prophetically. You lead your people providentially, God. We don't have what it takes as a church. I just want to be so clear, God. We don't have what it takes as a church. But we're not on our own. You lead us, God. We are prayerfully dependent. We need you. Maybe you want to do business with Jesus around that. Or, God, we bring our contributions to you as we emerge a little bit from this COVID moment, this pandemic, God. And bring you our contribution. I, I think of that little boy who brought you, Jesus, two fish and five loaves. That's all I have. There's thousands of people. I just got two fish, five loaves, but I put in your hands, Jesus. Would you use it to bless others? Perhaps you're Jethro. You're on the outside of the family of God. But you've heard today an invitation to, to bow before this king, that is Christ, who made a way for you who are outside to come in and to be a part of the family. Come and invite Christ into your life. Do business with Jesus as we sing this song together.